You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Amen. Good morning and welcome to our Sunday gathering. My name is Josh. I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer. And it is so good to be here with you this morning to worship uh, through the reading of Scripture, through the confessing of sin, through the singing of God's praises. And now we'll turn to uh, the, the preaching of God's Word. If you're a visitor with us, we want to welcome you. We realize it's not always easy coming into a new church. It can be intimidating, uh, but we hope that you were greeted warmly. Uh, I always like to let this little secret out. This church is not full of perfect, uh, put-together people. Uh, it's a bunch of broken sinners who uh, all know and confess their common need for grace for Jesus. And so uh, you're welcome here. We're glad that you're here. And I believe this morning that uh, when we gather that God in his providence has particular grace for each person that he's brought here. And so I'm glad that you're here. Uh, we are currently working through the gospel of Mark. Last week, Pastor Jordan walked us through Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, where Jesus calmed this raging storm that was on the Sea of Galilee. Um, and, and we learned in, this, uh, in that text that, that really Jesus in his miracles is kind of opening a window for us into the kingdom of God. He's kind of saying, this is what it looks like when the rule of God comes in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus, the creator of all things, has the power to restore and put in order His creation. His kingdom, His rule, His reign is bringing about shalom, that is peace and harmony of the world that has gone chaotic. And today we're going to pick up in chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 20, uh, where Jesus and his disciples, they've just come out of the raging storm, and they're going to head into Gentile territory on the, on the, sea of, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as we read in our text, we'll see that immediately they're going to be confronted by a demon-possessed man. Right? It's going to get exciting today, so just buckle up a little bit. Um, but we're going to see ultimately today that there is real evil in our world and it can only be defeated by the powerful presence of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to go today in our text. So let's pray and then we will uh, jump in again to the text. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning asking for your grace and your mercy Many of us are tired, many of us are weary, many of us are distracted, and we pray that you would quiet our hearts and, and help us to hear your word. Help us to see the beauty and grace and power of Jesus in this story that we read. Help us to see ourselves in our own spiritual bondage and oppression, Lord Jesus. Help us to see that you are the only one who can bring light and freedom Guide us, Holy Spirit, into your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's jump back in, uh, starting in verse 1. It'll be up on the screen as well. We'll work our way through the text. Verse 1 and 2. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean now let's just pause here to set the scene. 
Jesus and his disciples, they'd just gone through this, uh, this, this really horrific, terrifying storm, which Jesus calmed the waters. They've sailed uh, likely through the night, and now they're going into the land of the Gerasenes. Um, now, there is some debate on where exactly this location is due to the fact that the geography of, of the, the word used, Gerasenes, here doesn't necessarily match what's going to happen in our story. But, but the point of it is that they head into Gentile territory. And if you know the gospel story, this is a pretty rare move in Jesus' ministry, that he's taking the gospel to the Gentiles. No doubt Mark is, is kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen ultimately uh, after Pentecost, that the gospel will go out to all nations, but Jesus is going to a place that he rarely goes to the unclean land of the Gentiles. And the text tells us that as soon as they step off the boat, that they're confronted by a man who's possessed with an evil spirit. Now Mark goes into great uh, links to give us details about this man's life. So let's keep reading uh, in verses 3 through 5. He says, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountaintops, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. We might say that last week Jesus encountered an above-average storm. This week Jesus encounters an above-average man possessed with evil spirits. Now let's recap a little bit of what we see in the text, what we learn about the man. One, we see he's, he's filled with an unclean spirit. We're going to learn more about that as we keep reading. Two, that he lives among the tombs. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little odd and a little creepy, and, and it was just as odd in Jesus' time, right? You meet someone in town, you say, where do you stay? Oh, I live over off Grimes. Where do you stay? Oh, I, I live in the graveyard, right? That's, that's odd and weird, and it was just as weird. It was in the tombs would have represented uh, the ultimate place of uncleanliness in, to the Jewish mind. It would have been a place of the dead that is tainted with, with uncleanliness. And it's just as creepy as it sounds. I also want to remind you that likely the disciples had sailed through the end of the evening. And this, when they land, it's nighttime, right? So they're encountering this man when it is night. It's dark. We also learn about this man that the social response to him by those around him, to his whatever he had going on, was to try to bind him up with chains and, and to just forcibly like restrain him. And evidently, this man had been possessed to, to such a degree that he'd had superhuman strength, right? Marvel's not all the way out there, right? He had superhuman strength to break the chains that they'd put on him. And then finally, we see that night and day, among the tombs and then on the mountains, he was always crying out, wailing, <laughs> Cutting himself with stones, likely this cutting himself with stones was a part of pagan rituals of worship and some, uh, some manner of dealing with spiritual darkness. And really this whole setup, this detail that Mark gives us is, is setting the scene for this suspenseful, eerie, creepy conflict that's about to ensue. 
I'm imagining that if I'm one of the disciples, I'm kind of wishing I could go back to the boat in the storm at this moment, right? Like, I don't know, maybe you guys are, are, have more guts than I. Um, I imagine a feel similar to how many have seen episode 9 of Star Wars? Let me just see how this is going to land. Anybody seen episode 9? Oh, wow. I'm disappointed a little bit. Um, maybe I should have chosen a different movie. Uh, episode 9, the last of really the last Star Wars trilogy, there's this scene where, uh, where they go into the long, what, who was thought to be dead, Emperor Palpatine's lair, and there's this ominous music. It's dark. Like, you guys are like, what? <laughs> I should have shown a clip. And it's creepy, and there's like this dark choir singing, and, and it's just, it's, it, I get the same vibe uh, in this story. It's a terrifying moment. It's a terrifying man. And as suspenseful and creepy as it seems, and it is, the scene also conveys a sense of tragedy to us. Let us not forget that amidst all this chaos, amidst this darkness and raving lunacy, here is a man. A man created by God. A man bearing the image and dignity of God. A man ostracized, haunted, and tossed to and fro in a constant storm. It's certainly uncomfortable for the disciples to be here. It's uncomfortable for us to even encounter the story. And to this man, it's his life. It's what he lived day after day. Let's keep reading in verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now this man, he runs to Jesus, perhaps some mix of desperation and demon possession driving him towards Jesus. We don't get the exact reason why he runs towards him and he bows down and he falls down on his feet. And it seems as though the man is talking to Jesus at first. When he cries out in a loud voice and asks him, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, don't torment me. But quickly we realize from the text that this is actually not just the man speaking. This is a legion, a host of demonic forces within the man who begin to have a conversation with Jesus. He's filled with spiritual evil. Look at verse 8. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So here's Jesus encountering this man filled with spiritual evil. Jesus begins to have a conversation that maybe the disciples at first thought, Oh, he's talking to this guy. No, he's dealing with spiritual forces at work in this man. And before we move forward, I think it's important to acknowledge that this is pretty difficult for us. Right, this is a you don't just read this and go, oh, normal, you know, Jesus talking to demons, not just one demon, but over a thousand, you know, over a thousand demons, normal. Um, no, this is not normal. It's not fine. It brings up the uncomfortable reality of spiritual evil at work in the world. 
And most of us, if we were to find ourselves as one of the disciples in this scene, the way our culture and our worldview has conditioned us, we're immediately starting to psychologize what's going on. Oh, this man, he's just got mental illness, and perhaps that's at play. But oh, oh, this man, let's just label it this way, and perhaps there's, there's other diagnoses at play as well. Or perhaps... We just write it off to ancient culture and, you know, we tell ourselves to comfort ourselves. Oh, there's, there's no such thing as, as evil spirits. Like, get back in your right mind, right? We, we, we tend to go there and our culture has conditioned us to go there immediately to write off anything that doesn't fit in our nice, neat little Western worldview. You see, we live in a culture that has been shaped to see the world as flat. Not flat earth, or I'm not talking about that. But to, to compress everything that is reality and what we can touch, touch, taste, see, and feel. If we can't measure it scientifically for us, it doesn't seem as though it's reality or real. But we can't ignore in this text that Jesus is talking to a man, but is really talking to an evil legion of spiritual creatures. Jesus goes on in verse 8, to, to address these, these demonic forces. He says, uh, For he was saying to him, speaking of Jesus, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Let me just address uh, verses 8 through 10 for a second. Jesus, in talking to these evil spirits, asked uh, the spirit or spirits for their name, and they reply with, Legion. Now, Legion was unlikely to be their actual name as Legion was a Roman term to describe a, a military unit. It was, it was approximately uh, a military unit, approximately up to 5,000 troops and, and some, other, some other units packed in there. It could be a little bit smaller, but it, it mainly meant a large grouping of soldiers. And needless to say, in our text, and we'll see this in a bit when the, when the pigs come into the scene, there was a multitude of demonic forces terrorizing this man. Causing him to live in the, in the place of the dead. Driving him to, to cut himself and scream out in terror. Now for most of us, this is, this is quite a challenging scene. Honestly, if I'm picking the preaching calendar some weeks, I'm like, let's just move to the next part, right? Uh, Jordan assigned me this week, so I'm, I'm gonna, he's not here today. I'm going to blame him. But I'm thankful for it, because it is a great text. And perhaps you finding yourself not wanting to go there, or you find yourself uncomfortable with even the words demons or spiritual forces. Our flattened worldview offers us comfort with a multitude of ways to, to write this off, to just push it onto ancient culture. But the biblical worldview consistently acknowledges that there is more to this world than what meets the eye. Just as there is a physical world with rulers and authorities and order, there is a spiritual world with rulers and principalities and order. This doesn't mean that every problem or everything we face, we, we find a demon behind every corner, but it means that in our calculation, of evil and sin, we need to have in there some space for the spiritual world, for the, that there is indeed a real battle waging against evil in our world. 
Historically, the church has, has often recognized our battle against the flesh, the world, and the forces of Satan. If you go read the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, you'll see that he said in Ephesians 6, I've got it here, he said in Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, it's not so simple. It's not always so clean. Could some of our modern categories be at work here in this man? Absolutely. But perhaps we need to open our minds to see that there's also evil in our world that, that our human solutions cannot handle. These people had tried to deal with this man's problems by shackling him and putting him forcefully in chains, and it couldn't fix the problem. It couldn't hold a finger to the power that they were up against. I'd love to expand more on the importance of recognizing the spiritual aspects of our world. Maybe we'll do an equip class on that. But for the sake of our text, we're going we're to keep moving forward. I just want you to wrestle with that tension, though, as we look at this text. See, here's, here's the main takeaway from this text and what, what we're seeing so far, that there are problems we face, that people face, and suffer that cannot be resolved by mere human power or strength. There are spiritual forces that work in the world that weapons of flesh offer no defense against. There are spiritual forces of evil that oftentimes we've become spiritually numb or blind to until it blows up in our face like we see in this man. I think it's why Peter in 1 Peter says, be watchful. At the end of his letter he says, be watchful for your enemy is like what? He's like a roaring lion who seeks to kill, still, and destroy. You literally get to see that in this man's life, that he had taken his family, he had taken his belonging in the city, he had, and he brought him to the place where he's essentially a walking zombie. This is a real problem, and we don't have simple, easy human solutions. Now, some of you might be, if you really are taking this seriously, starting to get a little, you know, freaked out. And let me just assure you, comfort is coming. But comfort is not coming in the sense that I'm going to tell you, you know, kind of psychologize this away and say, you know what, we don't really believe in those fairy tales anymore. Like that, but that's not what I'm going to comfort you with. Comfort is coming, but it's coming in the presence and power of Jesus. Let's keep reading in verse 10. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. See, the unclean demonic spirits who had terrorized this man they cower at the presence of the Most High. You see, at this moment in, in, in Mark's Gospel, the, the disciples and, and onlookers, they're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. Because we know from the Scriptures that, that by His physical appearance, by what, what could meet the eye, 
he wasn't, he wasn't some impressive physical creature, right? So, so it's not obvious to them that this, in fact, is the creator of the universe. They're learning and they're starting to see hints of that, but it wasn't obvious. But these demons who, they know, if, if they have anything going for them, at least they know what's up in, in, in the re reality of the spiritual realm. They recognize who they're dealing with. They, perhaps, off the lips of these demons, give the most high praise that we've heard so far in Mark's gospel, calling him the son of, of God most high. This is a term rarely used, but sometimes used in the Old Testament to recognize Yahweh, God. And they know that his presence and his arrival on the scenes means their demise and their end. They know what they've done to this image bearer that Jesus made that belonged to him. And so they ask Jesus, they begin to bargain with Jesus to be sent, not, not cast out of the country, but to send into a group of pigs. And we might ponder for days, why would they want to go into the pigs? That seems like a weird request. Well, only thing I can think of is perhaps they, they, they were so hungry for chaos and destruction, they just needed something to do. And Jesus, in a, in a slightly odd moment, he seems to at first, he grants the request. They go into these pigs. There's 2,000 pigs that are driven wild by the presence of these demons. The pigs run headlong over a cliff into the sea, and they all die. Now, there's no doubt Marcus telling the story, but he's also messaging some things to us here. He's showing us that when Jesus shows up, when His power and presence comes on the scene, that darkness scatters and it's done away with. Right? In fact, this isn't the first time that God has miraculously thrown evil forces into the sea. Think back to the Exodus story when they come out of Egypt. What does He do with all the pursuers and all the evil that chases after God's people? The seas come crashing down. It's a scene of judgment over evil. Evil spirits do not belong in, in the hearts, in the, in the bodies of human beings created to give worship and praise to God. They belong in the swine, the, the, the filth, and they're going to be destroyed. Right? Now, sorry if you're a pig lover, if you're a pig at home. You know, like, <laughs> there's some interesting old uh, interpretation to this text that talk about hate on pigs, and they weren't very popular in Israel, blah, blah. It's, it's not trying to hate on animals. God created them too. But how much more is this human being worth than this group of pigs? Jesus simply gives the command and his command to this legion of demons uh, sends them to their demise. You see, family, there are problems that we will face. There are problems in your life and in our world that cannot be solved Merely by human strength. There are things you will face that cannot be fixed just by making more effort. They require the powerful presence of Jesus Christ. You see, it's His light, His presence, Him showing up with His authority that drives out the darkness. He's the light in John chapter 1 that when it comes upon the scene, the darkness does not overcome it. And while I think we should take this story for what it's worth, I think there's also an application to us that there is no part of us. There's no darkness in us. There's no shadow in our soul. There's no oppression we face that Jesus cannot command freedom. 
what hope for our world. What good news that He has come and darkness will not get the last word. N.T. Wright sums up this story in this way. I thought this was a great quote. He says, God's kingdom is bringing healing, restoring justice to Israel and the world. If unclean beings are fouled up are fouling up human lives, the answer is plain, into the sea with them. But it's not as easy as that. Again, Mark is telling us to look at the bigger story. At the climax of Mark's story, Jesus Himself will end up naked, isolated outside of the town among the tombs, shouting incomprehensible things as He is torn apart on the cross by by the standard of Roman torture. His flesh torn to ribbons by the small stones in the Roman lash. And coming to share the plight of the people. To let the enemy do its worst to him. To take the full force of evil on himself and let others go free. You see, this is just a foreshadow that Jesus himself is going to go to the place of utter desolation, of utter aloneness, of utter social ostracization. Just this week, I was, I was recounting as we read the, the instructions of the Lord's Supper, how that is even marred by the betrayal of Judas, <laughs> right? Think of the first line of, of the Lord's Supper. It says, and he took bread on the night of what? The night he was betrayed. You see, Jesus had come to defeat the darkness, not by taking up guns and swords and, and with might and with human weapons or the ways that we typically want to fight, maybe in our culture, but he'd come to defeat death Through his death, he came to take and absorb all that the enemy could throw so that we who didn't deserve it, who in fact had collaborated with evil, who had allowed evil to take up residence in our hearts so that we might be made clean, so that his light could shine into the darkness of our hearts and give us freedom. Look at what happens in this man's life. Let's keep reading in verse 14 and 15. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Right? We'll deal with the people in a moment. Let's think about this man, though, and what, what we've seen in his life. The man who was a raving lunatic, running to and fro, screaming. Uh, Other Gospels allude that he might have been naked. I didn't want to give you that image too early. This man is now sitting. Some of you parents are like, ooh, I want that miracle. He's sitting. He's clothed. He belongs. He's met his Creator. His mind is right. He's restored. A man who was in such bondage with no hope of rescuing himself is healed. A man in the deepest depths of darkness who could only be freed by the light of Christ And here he sits with Jesus, made whole, 
free. By the time we get to the end of this bizarre scene, we see not a wild and crazy creature, but a human being. We see someone who we have more in common with than we first thought. Whether we realize it or not, we too were in spiritual bondage. We too were rescued from spiritual darkness. Paul says it this way, he says, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we could say while we were dwelling in the tombs, while we were raving mad and going about haunted by evil, God made us alive together in Christ. And rather our hearts being a home, a house of evil, it was swept clean by Jesus, and now the Scriptures tell us that when we come to Him, He and the Father take up residence in us, as it should be, united to God by faith. He pours out His Spirit into us. He intercedes and protects us from dangers that we don't even acknowledge exist. Paul says the Spirit prays in groanings too deep for words. Oftentimes, you don't even know what's around you, right? We're just kind of walking around like a a three-year-old in a spiritual darkness, and the Spirit is, is protecting you if you're in Christ interceding for you. Finally, the scene ends with a bit of a surprising response. We'll read the last part of the text here. It says, And those who had seen it described to them what, they had, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now let's just pause there for a moment. This is an interesting response. You would think if you saw a man who was, who was ravingly mad and he was put in his right mind, that you'd say, hey, more of that, right? Stay, stay around. Can you do more? The people had experienced, no doubt 2,000 pigs was a pretty significant economic loss. So there's that aspect. That whoever these farmers were, they don't seem like they were going to be a witness to the people. Like in a good way, they were like, Let's, this guy's costing me my business. There's also the aspect of the text that says that they were fearful. Right? I kind of imagine the same way that maybe the Israelites, when they saw Mount Sinai and they saw God's power and presence revealed, they said, no thanks. <laughs> you go, Moses. We're going to hang out over here. They begged Jesus to leave. They begged Jesus to leave. Perhaps it's, it's a little too much too soon. It's cool, though, that we, we've got this little seedling that, that the gospel is coming for them, though. In fact, at the end of this scene, this, this man, let, let me just read this last part. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. It starts a little bit sad. I'm like, man, why can't this guy go with Jesus, right? Maybe sometimes you're like, "What? I want to do ministry. I want to, I want to, I want to go. Everyone wants to go. And, and for some, Jesus says, go, and he sins. 
And he calls us to go to foreign nations. He calls us to, to take up, you know, get on the boat and, and go with him. But for others, and, and especially in this Gentile context where, where God's reign had not broken in at least much, he sends him as a missionary to his own people. He says, go to your friends. Go back to where you're from and tell them of all that the Lord has done for you, how He's had mercy upon you. You see, as, as we consider and begin to see ourselves in this story, maybe you recall how Jesus rescued you from the depths of darkness. Sometimes God will send us far and sometimes God will send us near. And some of you this morning need to just remember that wherever He's placed you with friends and family and neighbors and co-workers and people around you, God simply wants you to tell of how He's had mercy on you. Tell of it. Because you don't know how that word and that encouragement might extend God's mercy to someone else who's in darkness. They might look at you and think, oh, you're just the way you are because you're a better person. You know you're not. I know I'm not. People need to know the reason for the hope that we have. People need to know that there is a light that overcomes the darkness. How cool is it that the first missionary to this area was a raving, mad, demon-possessed man? Wow. If God can use him, he can use us. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.